welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 270. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, we're back in the saddle again. Yeah, it's been a while. It's good to be back. Yeah. 270. So that means we will hit 300 this year. It's very possible. Yeah, very possible. It's very probable. possible we could. It's, it's, it's probable. Yeah, probable. It's a, yeah, it depends. Although we sometimes slow down. I think it's been good to slow down this summer a little bit. Yeah, sometimes it's good to slow down, take stock. I, although I haven't work-wise. I have not slowed down work-wise. It's been a busy. Yeah, you're weekend warrior. <laughs> Laser tag. Laser tag. I know. I tell you, I'm, you know, I, I said I thought I had one youth group left in me. You don't? I may have been wrong about that. <laughs> no, but it's good. A great group. Had a great confirmation class, and now we have a youth group, which uh, this church never thought they'd see again. So that's exciting. Yeah, the Greg Bunch. And uh, I, I'm not very good at laser tag. Well? First of all, they didn't. Ex- I didn't fully understand the first. They, I didn't understand all the ways you could die. So that hurt me the first couple games. But then I recovered, but still. Yeah. And also, one of my guys is a great kid, but he kept trapped. He trapped me. He kept shooting me again and again. So I grabbed a hold of his gun. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know, you do that one more time, I'm going to stuff that up your nose. He goes, so this is he goes, that's against, he goes, that's against the rules. That would be unsportsmanlike. Uh, yeah. I said, no one can find you in this darkness. Be careful. <laughs> it, it would be against the Geneva Convention. Against the Geneva Convention to stuff a laser gun up someone's nose. Anyway. Yeah, I would, I would yeah. say that. But he was just, he's just smarter than I was about it. So he's, it was, he, he took great delight in that. So. Anyway, but uh, things are going well, and uh, we've had some debates. One debate. Uh, well, yeah, one debate, part A and part B. That's right. Yeah, what'd you think of debate number one? I didn't. I didn't actually didn't watch sit and watch either of them. I just watched excerpts and read about them. Oh, that's right, because there were two. Yeah, there was eight debates. But it's one debate, but in two sections, like the. Yeah. Well, I think you know. I think there are some sharp. Elizabeth Warren is a sharp person. I think she looked good. I think the way Mayor Pete handled the question was good. Um, you know, obviously Biden has a target on him. Um, um, so, you know, and I've, I've liked Senator Harris from the beginning. Now, you know, again, it was a setup. and But so was, I paid for this mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so most, I mean, there's a lot of setups in primaries. So, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I think uh, I, I certainly respect Joe Biden. I heard an interesting person said Joe Biden has a history of, of doing really badly running for president. In he does. He does. Yeah, it's interesting great. though. Has a great record in debates. Like, yeah, no, like people no, always no. say he he was. Remember, he was the guy that had that line with Rudy Giuliani when he was the front runner for the Republicans. Yeah, all Rudy says every sentence is a noun, a verb, and nine eleven. <laughs> I, I, Biden yeah. had a good. I thought was good at stuff like that. Like, yeah. Well, you know, again, I think you know he's he's the front runner, so that's the target is squarely on him. That's us, actually. Yeah, are we time lapse? So yeah, time lapse. So here's the thing that I think that was interesting when they said, "Would you have 
which of you of your health care plans would fund undocumented you know, immigrants, people here illegally, and all of them raised their hand on the stage. And yeah. the New York Post the next day ran that picture of all of them raising their hands going, who wants to lose the election? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you can you also parse that out. If you don't treat people who are in your country, uh, let's say, like, for instance, communicable diseases, <laughs> that's, that's a, it's a public health problem. It's not, it's not, first of all, as a Christian, certainly I think you should take care of people, but... That that's kind of a yeah. Well, not that the New York Post is the banner of stuff. I I, 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 I do think though people don't like that. No, I, I think so. And it, people it, vote emotionally, and yeah, and yeah that, and I, no, like, I, th- I think you have to nuance that. But again, if you stop and say, "Hey, uh, do you want there to be an ep- you know an epidemic on the southern coast or southern uh, southern border?" I think people say no. Do you want children to die? Well. I used to think people would say no to that. Yeah, it's not as safe a bet. Yeah, I know. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, yeah, the fact that partisanship has uh, colored um, just things that, you know, like, for instance, having sex with children should not be a partisan partisan, uh Issue, but it's certainly with the current. Yeah, creeps in both parties. Creeps should be both parties. Get caught doing it. I mean, uh, children, little children. Uh, being sexually abused by uh, border. That should not be Republican or Democrat. So, uh, you know, I think that this partisanship just kind of just really creates some unfortunate things. Um, I did see there was there was a bipartisan uproar about the fact that they're using our driver license uh, for facial, you know, facial recognition Technology. Did you hear about that? There was a there was a hearing today about that. So they the uh, Homeland Security and the FBI, without permission, has tapped into the database of twenty without in our permission, but have tapped into the database of twenty states with all the photo IDs. They must have better technology than the iPhone. Although my, I feel like my face recognition thing on my phone works almost all the time, but Lindy's, no matter what, seems to not work. Well, you know, it's interesting. They Maybe said, the better looking you are, the worse it. Does. Well, no, they said that the face, it, it works well with white men, but women and people of color have issues with it. Just this. like the United States. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Never changed. I wonder, I wonder who came up with that technology. <laughs> That's like, I remember when Stephen Colbert was giving the commencement talk. He said, look, as a white guy, a white upper middle class male, my message to you guys is don't change a thing. <laughs> You know, the thing that's interesting, like I, so a couple of things I thought, and then we can get our topic about the debates. I think if I were a moderator, I would just say, well, all right, ding, that policy is cut off because you can't do it by executive order or by reconciliation. So even if the Democrats got the Senate, right, right. they're not going to get it by a 61 seat majority and all like that. So, you know, the only major pieces of legislation we've seen pass have been the Republican tax cut, I think, and then the Affordable Care Act under, and both of those were through reconciliation. So right, they, right. they up, they end arounded the filibuster process. So right. it, it, there's just all the, oh, we're going to give you college tuition free and this and that. And we're going to do, well, I mean, not, not if Mitch McConnell's there. And even if Mitch McConnell's there only as the minority leader, the right. odds are, you know, so that like, I think it's just like you, we ought to have a reality check when people say, well, I have this policy. That's great. You know, I have a policy. I'd like everybody to be nice and wear name tags. You know, like that yeah. would be what, that'd be my policy, but it's not going to get I'm going to filibuster the name tag thing. <laughs> yeah, but it's so nice. It's like when, no, when but, people like yeah. just, 
And the other, the other thing I think is that is so disappointing is the, not just the, the treatment of children at the border and separation of families, but the fact that nobody's talking about how somehow we got to the place where our asylum laws, which, you know, that's part of the great tradition of our right, country. Right. Somehow there was a loophole where if you just came up here, you could say, I'm seeking asylum, get here long enough, stay here with a work permit. And I'm surprised it wasn't sooner that people figured out, hey, if you go no, up and do no, this. No. So our system's not made for this. No. So like everybody just uses a political football. We actually need people to solve a problem here. Here is... Uh, oh, Adam Morton says that he would be for name tags. His would be, hello, my name is Leave Me Alone. That comes to us from yeah. Facebook Live. I like that. Yeah, that's very that's sad. Yeah. You probably, you know, just as long as you don't go to a people profession. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I very, forgot. <laughs> it's, he's, he's like the Midwestern Lutheran farmer that loved his wife so much he almost once told her. Once told her, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that that, that is – this is like a real problem, right? Yeah, like, no, it is. So and, it's been, you, and it's a problem before the Trump administration. Right. And yeah, and no one yeah. and the other thing is, I think if you don't want undocumented workers here, just say that anybody that hires them, it's a criminal penalty. And the first uh, instance of you d doing it, you get, you know, three years in prison and your business is confiscated. No one undocumented will come in a year because no one will hire them. Right. So what we do is we incentivize people to come here because they do a lot of jobs Americans don't want to do. And then we punish the victim because another person's going to come and fill that job south of from, right. from south right. the southern border anyway. So it's okay. sort of a, it's a, it's the ultimate blaming of the victim. Oh, absolutely. And so you either just let the, come up with a sensible guest worker program or just criminally like have draconian penalties for anybody that hires them. So you would say like if someone hired illegal Immigrants to work at their, say, their their golf club. Yes. In Bedminster. Yes. Then we, then the government could take that over. Yeah. And we could turn that into affordable housing. Exactly. Or a collective. Fund. I would not. I would not bulldoze the golf course. Though. We could put a. <laughs> you could put affordable housing well, on the I, course. I think you and yeah, you could put the yeah, and you and I should be able to play there. Yes, absolutely. For, for free for coming up with this idea. Do you know in Pine Valley, which is usually rated the number one course in the country, off in the world, like. They don't even want tournaments. Like they don't like make it so that you could put a gallery anywhere because they just don't want you there. <laughs> that's great. Like, that's great when you have that kind of fu money. Like yeah. we don't want you here. <laughs> we don't want cameras. We don't want the PGA. <laughs> we like our course. That's you know. Yeah. Don't don't walk on the greens. So there we go. I think. And yeah. here's the other scary thing. I think I texted you a couple weeks ago. Donald Trump's approval rating was scary. If you don't want the president elected, not scary. If you do. Donald Trump's approval rating right before the 2016 election was like 38%. Hmm. And now it's like in an ABC poll at 44%. Real clear average probably has it around 42 or 43, whatever, 40. But first off, like you have to put in the Trump factor. How many people can't even tell an anonymous pollster? <laughs> like they don't want to say it. So I, I, I think like you, I mean, incumbents don't often lose. I mean, the two most in recent memory were Jimmy Carter and George H.W. Bush. Both had really bad economies. Mm. It, it's, I, I mean, it doesn't look terrible for 45. No, no, no. What, what possibly could go wrong between now and the election? Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> Twitter. I mean, Twitter could be on the... Uh, yeah, they could be the tax returns. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's going to come out. Yeah. But is anything, like, I mean, the problem is anything that could come out 
it's like George Will has said this so many times. Yeah, I agree with that, all the criticisms you're saying. Is any of the, did we not know any of this before 2016? Like, no. I feel like there's nothing we find. If you're paying attention. That everybody t- almost didn't bake into the cake. Yeah, which probably is a good segue into some of the trauma and drama around trauma and drama uh, around the idea of at least a, a, a significant uh, element of white american evangelicals this president is the most excited president they've ever they've ever had that, that was quote unquote i want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question do you like this podcast do you enjoy it do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning afternoon, evening routine or while you're exercising or while you're caught frustrated in traffic do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here if the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes or even just a solid maybe would you do something for me would you consider becoming a patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more it's for a good cause you can help this podcast and one of the many others i do keep going and you can help launch several other podcasts projects i've got in the works so i invite you to be a patron through patreon of this which i think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy again any contribution is welcome but for five bucks a month you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call which begins right now thank you david babico andrew stravitz barry stewart ben crosby ben dehart carol clemens charlotte donlin David Norling, David Saul, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butran, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedi, and Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. Who said that? That was uh, Jerry Fall Jr. Yeah, was it? Yeah, I think it was him. But it was in that. Art, Did you party. see what he said to on Twitter to Dr. Russell Moore from the Southern Baptist Convention? Oh, yeah. Where he was like you know, critiquing this stuff on the border. And he was like, who are you? You're just an employee. Have you ever built anything? I'm like, wait. What is this, Mr. Potter, Potterville? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you just well, draw a salary like most of the country? Actually, uh, if you played, I wonder if, if we played It's a Wonderful Life now, if there'd be a certain part of the population would be, say, oh, no, that's, that, what a horrible way for that to end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, we want, to, we want to dream, we want to uh, leave, leave him dead, let Jimmy Stewart not come yeah, back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he was, he's not a job creator. No, we, we voted for, uh, we voted for uh, the alternative universe. <laughs> yeah, although I feel like Potter was probably better in, real, in, in business than Trump. Oh, well, I think yeah. it probably was very effective, yeah, yeah. So one of the things we were talking about, what we're going to talk about, is um, you know there's a lot of consternation among. Um, well, yeah. Well, who would the group do you think is are, are most concerned about this? Uh, you know, moderate evangelicals. Uh, you know, people who moderate evangelicals. There's like ten thousand of them. <laughs> well, there's a lot of talk about the fact is that the white evangelical church going embracing of Donald Trump. Um, yeah, you know, has had a detriment. It's having a what would be a li- you know what would be a lifetime event kind of effect on on young people and 
you know, that in reality, this embracing of Trump is going to, to summarize, there's been lots of different things, have a irreversible damaging effect on in evangelical churches. And, you know, they say they see it already in the under 30 crowd. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of talk around that. There's a lot of, there's, um, you know, I, we've seen on social media the replacing of the Atlantic articles, the most recent one, but there's been lots of different people who've talked about this. So, yeah, one of my, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I was saying to you is that this is why knowing a little bit of church history doesn't make you feel better, but it gives you a perspective because <laughs> church history does not make because it won't better. make you feel better, <laughs> but it will give you perspective. Yeah, that's that good. I should have put that on my course syllabuses. Yeah, maybe that's why seminaries are eliminating church history classes because they just Obje- want to objectives that you understand. This course should make you feel better, but it will give you perspective. <laughs> Surprised no one ever wrote a folk song with that title. Yeah, that would be a good one. That would be good. It could have been on Mighty Wind. It yeah, should have been in yeah. the parody. Yeah. yeah, no, but I think the history of Christianity is is it making horrible decisions and all kinds of alliances that came back to haunt them. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things, um, uh, you know, and, and I would even say, you know, the, the, think of how the mainline liberal wing of the church, in many ways, when it gave up serious theological reflection, when it gave up, uh, for whatever reason, any serious commitment to historical Christianity, orthodoxy, I mean, there was a certain kind of, that was that was buying into a certain trend as well that had, you know, that's one of the reasons that you know the mainline churches are where they are today. And it did it at its high point. I mean, the, yeah. people don't realize the early 1960s was the pinnacle of church attendance in this yeah. country, like far higher than, say, the 1860s or the 1760s. And then the sort of marriage to every – I mean, the mainline, just, it never meets a cultural trend it doesn't like. I mean, yeah. it, and so that – and it's interesting because I think you're right that there's a parallel thing with the moral majority. Like 20 right. years later, it's a, it's a kind of – mirror on the right and and it is having a deleterious effect among young people yeah yeah very significantly and you know i think one of the things and and one of the things i think the progressive wing of of protestantism because they got they were right about the civil rights some of them a little late being right about the civil rights i mean they were very courageous there were very courageous unitarians jewish leaders there were you know uh, a scattering of brave souls and you know including some of our former presbyterian colleagues who you know took brave stands but the majority of it you know was kind of, there was a lot of silence uh, both in the south and the north about these issues but yes you know the progressives were right about the civil rights movement but that's not why people left the churches yeah no it's it wasn't funny because ross douthat actually argues in his book i think it's called bad religion he actually argues that without a kind of general civic religion something like the the civil rights movement would have been possible without some kind of base moral foundation. Right. And he thinks actually with the erosion of that, what you get is more, he was telling Bill Maher, it's Bill, it gets more of what bothers both of us, like flaky new age stuff and hardcore fundamentalism. And I think he, he's, he's right about that, that, that the civil religion kind of helped to kind of mainstream kind of norms. Now, I mean, David Fitch right now would be saying that's the worst thing in the world, but there right. we go. But there was, and there were. If these... we took his cultural linguistics class in on George Limbeck, <laughs> we'd know why. Like I said, George George Limbeck, a great book for ten years. Yeah, it's really helpful ten, yeah. for ten years, and that's, and that's important. You know, I mean, if you if you have an influential book for a particular time, 
All right. We have a call-in. A call-in a caller, show. right. We almost had a caller. <laughs> but, um, no, I think, you know, for instance, the, you know, it's easy to look at the PCA, for instance, their memory of their memory of their leaving was around, you know, the Westminster Catechism, women's ordination, things like that. But they, but they don't tell you it was also about segregation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That part of the story doesn't get told. Now, but the same kind Nor of— do people say, do you know that the Southern Baptist Convention voted twice before 1975 or 1976, after Roe versus Wade, v- voted twice to say that abortion should be a right for women, after Roe versus Wade? Yeah, well, but that would be a very Baptist thing. Yeah, and it was only after yeah. the segregation stuff where people wanted, where the Supreme Court kind of ruled that segregation account, if you having were segregated Christian schools, and that seemed to be the purpose, you no longer could be a charity. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. when the moral majority, and yeah. abortion yeah. was a great recruiting issue. Right. And then, but also to help bolster the states' rights kind of stuff. Yeah, and you know, one of the things, what I, one of the things I thought was interesting, what happened to the, you know, particularly when you look at the current evangelical embracing of Trump, what what when did the holiness movement go away? You know, one, one of the things there was still, you know, I uh, grew up in the northern end of the Bible Belt in in a in a, in a rural area that had every possible expression of evangelical Protestant Christianity, uh, everything from you know the Jerry Falwell Baptist fundamentalism to all versions of the charismatic movement and all kinds of variants in between. And, you know, one of the things that the, it seems one of the things that happened, uh, was the, like the holiness movement has lost any kind of influence, which it was a very strong influence among evangelicalism up into and through the seventies. I mean, uh, you know, there's a sense where, I mean, you look at even someone like Ron Sider. I mean, the holiness movement explains, you know, evangelicals for social action almost as much as any kind of progressive politics. It really was, it's as much born out of that, uh, Nineteenth century social righteousness, personal righteousness; those things were combined. So you know, there's a, it's an interesting thing how that uh, that kind of dialogue or that part, very important part of the kind of evangelical Christianity that I was nurtured in that that just isn't even that doesn't even show up. I mean, yeah, I think the other factor too is, is there's a lot of sociological work on this that a lot of the people that identify as sort of conservative Christians and where you think of part of the evangelical sort of base that say elected Donald Trump. It, when you look at these folks there, it's the hillbilly elegy thing. It's a lot of people that don't go to church. They're not right. really part of any kind of religious community. They just kind of identify as conservative and Christian. Yeah. And so you, you kind of, you have, it's interesting too, like church or synagogue attendance among whites. It's a huge sociological factor on income and optimistic or pessimistic view of the world. I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I think the fact too, that now again, it's not new also that conservative Christians align themselves with things like the John Birch society, you know, conspiracy, the idea that there's a war on culture. Um, that was just, that used to be more marginal. I mean, there were, you know, that kind of, uh, conspiratorial stuff was alive and well when I was a kid and a teenager but it would be in certain Bible churches, you know, certain, you know, <clears throat> churches where Jerry Falwell would have been too liberal, you know. <laughs> but that that stuff has always always been here. Just like the idea that, you know, progressive Christians, there's always been, you know, people in progressive Christianity didn't really believe in anything, but didn't believe in the Christian, but went through the motions because they felt this was a vehicle for social change and uh, or this was where they had their pension. 
So there's a sense where this kind of utilization of religious institutions or religious structures uh, to promote ideas that don't really have any kind of gospel at heart or not are not the heart of the gospel. That's something that's gone on for a long time. Um, you know, there was uh, there was great disillusionment in the church uh, before the you know Fourth Lateran Council, and, you know, and um, back during the time of Francis. I mean, so there's a sense where the church was in a lot of trouble before the uh, renewal movement of Francis and Dominic, but within a generation. Both of those movements had been appropriated and became part of the power structure. I mean, the Dominicans, uh, who were called to help bring people back to Mass and to preach and to, to help teach the faith, you know, within a generation were leading the Inquisition. Uh, I mean, I can't think, I was trying to think of... The Inquisition, <laughs> what a show. The <laughs> well, I was trying to think of, like, I was trying to think of, I don't know of a person alive that I would say is a better Christian uh, then Bernard Corvaux would have more spiritual insight. And Joel first, Osteen? Uh, like I said, I don't know of any Christian alive that even come close. Paul White. <laughs> and Bernard Clairvaux, uh, now he repented of it later, but he actually supported the First Crusade. So, I mean, there have been really wonderful people who've made awful, horrible, heinous mistakes as Christians and who were, you know, who are, who are creatures of their age. And so... You know, it's, you can't divorce yourself from the time you're in. I think what you can do is try to have the longer perspective. And, you know, if the American Christian Church suffers from this, uh, this, the right wing suffers from committing, recommitting the sins of the left wing, uh, and, and, uh, sacrificing the gospel for a, a, even let's say it's a, it's an, it's an important or noble social ideal. Uh, the fruit of it will be the same. And, you know, American Christianity um, probably deserves a, a downturn. But, again, the gospel <laughs> the gospel doesn't go away. The, the Church of Jesus Christ still survives one way or the other. And, you know, God, you know, God is not mocked. Uh, and everybody who's ever been a follower of Jesus hurts his reputation anyway. So, but I do think there's a sense where I, I, I think— to me, the problem of the apocalyptic language tied to the latest social media uh, posting, uh, in a way, it's it's kind of like uh, that's I love that story. I don't know if it happened or not. Where uh, Luther's depressed and he's in bed and he's just you know, of course he was. He probably would have been diagnosed with antidepressant if he was around today. Deeply depressed, and he had a lot on him as well. I mean, the whole Christendom was against him. Um, he and just again, like our friend. Uh, he, just like Fitch. Fitch, <laughs> fighting a good fight. He's got a new book coming out, so we're plugging his name. The Church of Us versus Them. And we will be talking about that once I finish reading it. Exactly. You read it. But, um, and his wife, Katie, came out all dressed in black. And, uh, you know, it looked like she was going to a funeral. And Luther says, who died? She said, God must have, the way you're acting. I like that. Yeah. So I like a, that. <laughs> so there's a sense where I think we... You know, one of the things it's been really interesting. I've, the text I've been preaching ever since before uh, the electionary ones I've been preaching on this theme of unity, this theme of oneness in Christ, this idea of the breaking down the dividing walls of hostility. I mean, there's a sense where I think the most important thing we can do as Christians. I once said this: How does a, how does Christian how do we as a church respond to the postmodern moment? I said, Well, we just outserve everybody. We outlove. We all care for people. And I, I think, 
in some levels, I think really horrible things can happen from aligning with, you know, dark forces and power and, and aligning with hate. And I think, you know, that's asked the German Christians about that. They're not the only ones. Ask the Southern Christians about that during the Civil War. But um, you mean German Christians of history because there's not a lot left now. You no, know, I meant I meant you know, the German. I, I meant that was a technical term from World War. Yeah, from yeah. the pre-World World War II because it's right. Yeah, it's lower. No, I know so. some German Christians, but at any rate, um, I, there was a guy I heard speak of Princeton right once. Dow Gruder brought him in, and he said he was when he was the state pastor at the new church. He came in, and the woman says, uh, "Yeah, you're like the new fire chief. We're glad to see you here, but we hope we never need you." <laughs> oh man. I like that. That's nice. But what I'm saying, I mean, the people I find, you know, I mean, again, right now I'm doing a lot of work with churches that are struggling and but are regrouping and, and uh, renewing themselves. And the people who are there on Sunday morning are there because they want to be there. Um, you know, there's one. There's two, no inquisition. There's no inquisition. <laughs> well, the other thing that I was thinking, you know, uh, the one fellowship I work with, Crossroads, um, you know, my con- the core group is my congregation, and they're really committed. And that's kind of a powerful – that could be a powerful, powerful thing. We'll see what happens with it. But so I, to me, it's not that I, I, I'm really troubled, but um, it's, it's, kind of an, it's a kind of a weird form of Pelagianism where we, uh, you know, somehow all our mistakes are going to totally condemn and doom, uh, doom the church. So this is where – I guess you actually referred to me – as being reformed like uh, Bullinger, and uh, so uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so God is God. Christ is Christ. Church still exists. That doesn't mean we can't, you know, cause the little ones to stumble. But, um, but I also think probably perspective might be one of the most important things we can bring to the current time. Yeah, and I think of that great quote by uh, Halik about you know the death of God and how even the death of God in cu- at a cultural level you know, the death and resurrection that these are, if a faith can't take that, it, it is it really the Christian faith? And so yeah. I think that, you know, that, that, yeah, that, that these moments that make us think things are apocalyptic are maybe actually quite the opposite. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't, uh, I'm, hope is what I'm talking about this week is Colossians one talks about that and the hope of heaven has been revealed to you. And, you know, going back to my laser tag, okay. A couple years ago, there weren't any, really any kids. There's only a few kids in the church. And I had a conference, I have a youth group now. And what I saw at one point, I saw these three girls who didn't even know each other before confirmation started. And the one in the middle put their arms around the other two and said, said we're a family. So just, you know, in a moment. And I said, you know, that's, that's the kingdom happening in surprising ways. And I think, you know, that's how, that's how the church started, you know. People who did not have a hope, who were not a people, becoming a people. Yeah, and yeah. I think maybe we just need to get back to who we really are, or supposed to be. Yeah, amen to that. Thank you, friends. Thank you. Happy, be Happy, safe. Happy uh, Wednesday. Yeah. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.